you know, when, um, <clears throat> when news got out of Pastor Tim's departure from our church and calling to a new church, um, the first person who came to me, and I don't remember who it was, and who asked me if I might know of anybody that I thought might be a good candidate to be our interim pastor. It took me about a half a second for the name Bob Skelton to come out of my mouth. Because I knew of him already. I had gotten to experience his leadership um, as interim pastor. And I knew that his reputation preceded everything that he did. Um, so I did not know the journey that God would have for our church and for me and the role that God would call me to play now as the pastor of this church. But God is perfectly sovereign in everything. And he knows. And I'm so grateful that he arranged from the very beginning for Bob Skelton to be here as a resource and an encouragement to me as I stepped into this new role. Um, there's, no, there's nobody better uh, that I could have had to learn from during this time. So Bob, thank you brother, for investing in me, for encouraging me, for showing love to me, our entire staff, and our family here at Lindell. We really, really love you. And we love you, Miss Vicki, so much. Um, I want you to think of a word this morning. I want you to think of the word legacy this morning. I want to give you the definition of what the word legacy means. It means something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Now, unfortunately, the word legacy is usually a word that only comes out when we talk about someone's death. Usually the word legacy is something that you only hear at a funeral. And even though Bob gave his final thoughts today, <laughs> he is by no means um, at the end of his journey. And so... But I want to challenge that this morning. I want you to think of that word legacy in a much broader view for just a moment. We know that that definition, when we read the word ancestor in that definition, we, we kind of consider death. But there are other words in that definition that we need to consider. It says something received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Now perhaps to be an ancestor... That implies that you have died and you have left people <clears throat> behind with a family connection. But the word predecessor doesn't mean that at all. If you've ever stopped to consider, have you ever stopped to consider that every one of us are predecessors? Every one of us. Because each of us have someone that is following behind us. Whether it be our children, our grandchildren, a family member, a co-worker, a church member. All of us have someone who is coming behind us. Whatever we find ourselves doing, one day someone else is going to be doing. And they're going to be following us. That's the definition of a predecessor. So if you are a part of this church family at Lindale, you have predecessors who are being raised in this church family who are looking to you 
for how to be a part of this church family. Are you with me? It doesn't just mean that the senior, this is not just for senior adults. The kids in our church have predecessors who are going to follow them. The students in the student ministry have predecessors who are looking to you now and are going to be filling your role. It doesn't matter what age we are. Predecessors leave legacies. Predecessors leave legacies. Not only after they die, but all along the journey that they live. So the question I want you to consider this morning is, as someone's predecessor, which you are, what legacy am I living with each step of my journey? Sometimes we think about legacy being that thing we leave behind when we die. But that's really not what legacy is. You realize you are living your legacy right now. Before all that you live with. Before all that you interact with. Before everyone you have relationships with. Bob Skelton has been leaving a legacy his entire life. From the first time that he began as a pastor and minister in 1971. Is that right, Bob? Garden Lakes. Yeah. So he's been, he's been leaving a legacy his entire life. He is a predecessor to me and countless other people called to ministry in all of the churches that he served. And he's been living a legacy here at First Baptist Lindale. As all of us are doing right now. What Bob has done in these past few months at Lindale is no different than what you are doing right now. So today I want, you, I want to reflect on one familiar verse that's one example of the type of legacy that I believe each one of us should strive to live. And it's found in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And this is what it says. He has shown you, O mortal or O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That says it. In in Micah chapter 6, we have a very similar situation that we had in Amos chapter 5. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about worship and the people were so consumed in the offerings and the, um, and the ceremonies that they brought to God, being pleasing to Him. They wanted to please God with external sacrifices and external ceremonies of worship. They were looking for things that they could do for God with their hands that would make up for the ways that they dishonored him with their hearts. That was, that was the, the mindset of the people. They knew they had dishonored him with their hearts, but they were looking for things they could do with their hands to make up for it. And, and the message here in Micah is very similar to the message that Amos gave the people. God explained that the sacrifices of our hands and our voices are only secondary to what God really wants from us. And that's the response of our heart. So here in Micah 6, 
God is reminding the people of all that he's done for them. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, he reminds them that he is the one who's delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, that he raised up Moses, Aaron, Miriam to be leaders, to lead them out. And then in verse 6 and 7, the people reply to God with the question of, God, what can we give back to you that's worthy of all that you've done? And in verse 6 and 7, they begin to list these huge external sacrifices that are so extravagant and so large some that would even be impossible for them to give should we give you a thousand rams god should we give you ten thousand rivers of olive oil they even ask should they sacrifice their firstborn to him for what he's done all these external sacrifices huge and extravagant and God's reply is verse 8 and God says why are you asking me for the answer to a question that I've already given you I've already told you what it is that I want from you parents in the house don't you become frustrated when your when your kids do that are you with me that like they you tell them And then they come back and ask again. You say, I've already told you this. And then they come back and ask again, right? And you say, look, I've already told you for the third time something, something. And you give them the answer. And you get frustrated. Well, think about when you were a kid. Why did you do that when you were a kid? You did that to your parents. You know why? Because you hoped that eventually the answer would change. That's the only reason for that. That's why you kept coming back. Maybe they'll answer differently this time. Maybe they'll say something different. And you want to say to your kids, I've already told you I'm not going to change my mind, right? That's kind of what the beginning of Micah 6, 8 means. God says, I've already told you. And I'm not going to change my mind. Here's what I require. This is what I want from you. And he gives them three very simple things. To do justly. That means to treat people with fairness and equality. To not show favoritism to those that the world would hold in higher esteem. The ones that the world wants to highlight. God says don't show favoritism to them over anyone that comes into your midst. Not to take advantage of opportunities to elevate or bless ourselves. But do what's right and honest and allow God to be the judge of all things and all people. And to hold God's justice above our own. Understanding that God's justice was laid on his son and it saved us from death. Do you realize that what makes the grace of the gospel so wonderful is that it's not fair for us? Because you know what would be fair? I get frustrated when I hear people complain about how God's not fair. God is, is perfectly just. <clears throat> but he took the justice that was required for our sin. And rather than put it on us, he put it on his son. That's the gospel. So for us, even though God fulfilled his, his requirement for... For perfect justice, 
it wasn't laid on us. So the beauty of that grace that we have is that for us it makes life not fair. <laughs> because we're forgiven. But to do justly, to do right with people. And then he says to love mercy. Simply to treat others with the same loving kindness that God has shown to us. When we have the opportunity to dish out what we know someone deserves for what they're doing wrong, we joyfully hold back. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that's also the gift of God to those who believe. To let mercy lead us in our relationships with one another. To freely offer forgiveness for wrongs done to us. Not to hold grudges. Not to be angry with each other. But to love mercy. And to extend God's mercy to others because we've been recipients of it ourselves. Amen? You've been given a great mercy. And God says that mercy that you've been given is something that you should love. And you should love it so much that you look for opportunities to give it away to other people. He says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. It implies a daily living and acting. When he says, walk humbly, he means in the process of what you do each day as you live. To take the right perspective of yourself in the light of who God is and who we are. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we're a lot bigger than we really are. That we're really more significant in, in the scope of creation than we really are. But we're really, really small. And so to be humble before a holy God and understand who we are compared to who He is what he also means by walk humbly, and this is always true, that true humility always equals faithful obedience. True humility always equals faithful obedience. If you want to gauge how humble you are before the Lord, check how obedient you're being. That's the mark. Of true humility. No prideful attempts to make things happen. That we think is best. But to daily submit to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And willingly place ourselves under his rule. Don't you. Do you ever get frustrated when you hear someone else talk about how humble they are? You know what that really means? That you're not very humble. If you have to tell everybody. Or if you have to write about it on Facebook. Ow. Humility is obedience. Being faithful. And then projecting all the glory back to Jesus. Jesus himself would later echo these same three things that Micah says in 
Matthew 23, 23, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the church people. He's talking to the religious leaders. And listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus is saying, again, you're putting so much focus on your outward gifts, on the things that all the people can see, that your heart is infected. He says, you've neglected the more and more important matters of the law. Look at what he says. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Micah said, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, which means to be faithfully obedient. I kind of had a little moment when I found that. The same thing that Micah says in, in Micah 6, 8, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus said, don't, don't neglect all of, all of the ways that you worship me, but you... If it's without justice, mercy, and faithfulness, it's empty. So our legacy is what we give to those that we leave behind us. True legacies that last come from the heart, not from the hands. It's nice to have physical things that help us remember those that have been on the journey. Do you, maybe someone that's gone, maybe you have some physical thing that you, that you treasure. Maybe someone in your family has passed down or... Or left to you and it's a physical thing and you treasure that. But the reason you treasure it is not because you value that thing so much. It's because that thing helps you remember the heart of the person who gave it to you. That's why that's such a treasure. And what I want us to remember this morning is that you can't wait until the end of your life to begin to leave your legacy. You're leaving it right now. You're already doing it. The question that we should think about this morning is, what is that? What legacy am I leaving? Because you're leaving a legacy. It may be a good one, a godly one. It may be a not so good one. But rest assured, as you live your life every day, there's a legacy that you're building up. What is it? I think Matthew, Micah 6, 8 is a great model. For the kind of legacy that God would have us to leave. I believe Micah 6.8 is a beautiful description of the legacy that Bob and Vicki Skelton are leaving. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. I want to end by reading you the same verse from the message. Sometimes Eugene Peterson just really gets it in his, in his paraphrase of the scriptures. Micah 6, 8 from the message says, But he's already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously.